improv at its core is life. Like nobody wakes oh, up I love that. and is given yeah. a script of like what's going to happen. Yeah. We're all improvising all the time. Every flipping day. Right. When you just embrace that and you, you can really enjoy it. And I think one of the secrets joy that in improv is that when something happens that you didn't expect, we don't freak out. We I, like I get excited. What is financial sobriety? Well, first, I'm Jim Gebhardt. Oh, I'm Matthew Grishman. That's good. We should introduce ourselves. And this podcast is all going to be about three relationships that really, when you stop and you think about them, you don't think they go together. But it's your relationship you have with money. It's the relationship you have with people who mean the most to you. And ultimately, the relationship you have with yourself. So I might imagine that those three relationships are somewhat wrapped together. That when one gets a little out of whack, perhaps it has an effect on the others. Stick around and you'll find out. What are you grateful for today? I am eternally grateful for brilliant people. Ooh, tell me more. In our pregame today, we were talking about some health challenges among our friends. Yeah. And the fact that there are specialists in this world that can go beyond. So our, our good friend Rishi, right? There are people that can specialize in medicine a couple notches above him. No disrespect to, to Rishi whatsoever. But the fact that there are people willing to go beyond, right? There are a level of specialization in medicine that just knocks my socks off. And then some of the technology that goes along with that in terms of being able to, de 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 yeah, I can say it, detect <laughs> things is, I, I have a long list of gratitude this morning, but I'm going to run, I'm going to run with that one. Awesome. And the fact that we're blessed to be surrounded by those kinds of people. Absolutely. And for me, R Rishi is a big part of my gratitude today because my gratitude at I'm probably starting to sound like a broken record on this, but my gratitude is so deep with the people in our lives. Since our last episode, not too long ago, I got to go out and do that fishing trip that I was talking about a few episodes ago as being one of my big 10-10-10 slips, right? And I was a little regretful at first of saying yes to something like that because of the financial spend behind it. What I'm grateful for is— It's over. Well, besides the seven hours of nausea I experienced on the boat, the way I was able to get through the most excruciating nausea of my life was the people that I was with. It was so awesome to be there on that boat and not have to have my mask on, to not have to show up and be something that I'm not. I didn't have to laugh at everybody's corny jokes. I didn't have to engage in conversation. I just got to sit there and feel nauseous. Yeah, because you were going to feed the fish. <laughs> they were hoping I would chum off the back of the boat. But what was cool was... The people who were there accepted me for who I was at that moment. And guys would come up to me and ask me how I was doing and give me a little kiss on the cheek and just let me be who I had to be that day, which was a miserably nauseous human being. So it wasn't the three-hour tour where you got to be either Gilligan, the professor, the skipper, or Thurston Howell? No, I was the Green Martian feeling very woozy. Gotcha. But, but I did catch they my must, fish. They had to have an episode with a Green Martian on Gilligan's Island. They may have. They had to. It's a long like time ago. Like they crash-landed on the other side, and the professor's like, oh, well, uh, let me see what uh, what we can do here. <laughs> well, perhaps if Netflix ever buys the rights to the show, we'll get to watch it again okay. and find out. But I, I'm just I'm incredibly grateful for the people that continue to show up in my life who just bring me an incredible amount of joy. I'm grateful you're here with us today. I'm grateful Ace is healthy and here with us today. And I'm especially grateful for the guest we're going to have yeah, coming in me too. here just in a few minutes. So 
The holidays are almost here. Thanksgiving is happy holidays right around the corner, and it is one of my favorite holidays of the year because of this idea of gratitude. I'm grateful, brother. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year because one of our traditions is we go around the table and share gratitude. And while we do it on many dinner table nights of the week throughout the year, there's always a little buildup to this one because it's such a ceremonial celebration of yeah. being thankful. You guys don't set the time limit. The for bounty. This one. Yeah. Your your shares at the dinner table, no time they limit. Can, yeah, they can be they can be they can be light, they can be heavy, they can be quick, short. You go around the table and awesome. it's a lot of fun. So that, it's very exciting to have our guest in studio today. Absolutely. Especially on this side of our first ever five day challenge. We just completed our five-day Show Me the Money Challenge, which getting through the beginning of that was really towards the end about connecting with people and really using this holiday season in a very intentional way, not just with our financial resources, but with our time, with how we treat ourselves. And so much of the challenges I've had in life have been because of this need for me to show up in life the way I think the world wanted me to show up. Putting my mask on, my whole shower-to-showtime routine of getting that mask on, getting that uniform on. I mean, we've just we've talked about it a lot. That relationship with self, that incredibly elusive relationship with self, is one of the most challenging relationships we ever have to face and deal with and find some kind of unconditional acceptance if we want to get to that place of true wealth in life. Right. So having the guests that we're having here in studio today is just such perfect timing, A, for the gratitude I feel around Thanksgiving and the people in our lives, and this idea, a whole different way of looking at what we've talked about with taking off the mask. She is an absolute expert in this field. She has helped me so incredibly in my own world of taking the mask off, and I can't wait to dive into a conversation with her. So on the heels of our challenge, which was about, a, you know, we're big sports guys, and, and we love the concept of pregame. So as we go into the holidays, we're pregaming. You know, the whole challenge was about how do, we, how do we prepare ourselves for the financial gauntlet ahead, right? The minefield of the holidays in terms of being able to just be a little bit more disciplined, a little bit more thoughtful in our approach. What I love about our conversation today with Betsida is – now we're going to be looking at how do we inject play into one of the most stressful times of the year. Ooh, baby. And the fact that whether it be with your people or whether it be with yourself, how do you go into the holidays with a lighter spirit, a lighter energy? Wait for it. A joie de vivre. <laughs> Ooh. Right? Ooh, big word. My AP French literature is coming back into the classroom today. Nice. And, and, and for those of you who know me well, I'm, I'm very fully caffeinated this morning. Well, suivez-moi. Gesundheit. That means follow me. Okay. And the only reason I know that is because the little crab said that to Ariel and Little Mermaid. That's the only French I speak. But with that, I am so pleased to introduce my friend, Betsida Lebron, Welcome in studio. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's do it right. Yeah. This is how we do it. What is Betsida grateful for today? Oh, my gosh. So many things to limit it. Well, I mean, I, I'm i grateful for just the energy that's in this room, just getting to sit in on this conversation as you're starting it off. Like, so much fun just to be here. So thank you. And I think, you know, just 
in the spirit of like thankfulness right now, I'm really I'm thankful that people are being more thankful <laughs> just in general. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that. Yeah. All the things that people are kind of waking up a little bit more and recognizing that it's it's about being grateful. It's about taking care of ourselves, taking care of others. And there's just more of a sense of connectedness that mm -hmm. I feel. And I'm excited to just, you know, wonderful. Be, be part of that. Oh, I mean, that's beautiful. Well, it, I guess we're going to have fun on the show today. Absolutely. Because <laughs> what, what it sounds like to me is you've maybe intentionally or unintentionally said no to some of the same stuff that Jim and I have started saying no to. I walked out of my bedroom this morning to find Amy sitting on the couch watching the national news. And I had to walk through the room like this with my eyes closed, la, 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 right? Hands over my ears because of the gratitude you just shared. Because if I got sucked into that, it would take me to a place where I wouldn't be able to feel that the world is waking up with more gratitude. Yeah. So thank you for that reminder this morning. Thank you for reinforcing that this morning. Yeah. That's beautiful. You're welcome. I mean, I think it's, it's absolutely true. I, and and it is exactly what you're saying. It's like where we focus gets amplified. So if we're focusing on where there's lack or where there's, you know, where people aren't thankful and you're focused on all the things that you wish that you had versus on being thankful for what you have, that gets amplified where when we're thinking about gratitude and you're focused there, then it just it amplifies. So I'm just why would I focus on something that's going to make me feel horrible, you know, for too long? Like obviously deal with problems. I'm not saying ignore problems, but really when you're giving that intentionality, I love what you were talking about earlier. It's just about being intentional. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, to kind of kick things off, I know you pretty well. Jim's getting to know you. Ace, our producer, doesn't know you at all. And, and I'm guessing most of our financial sobriety community members don't know you very well. So if you could, share, share a little bit of background, because what you just said is very profound. Uh, I might imagine that you didn't just wake up one day and get to that mindset. So a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to a point where you're sitting here in our podcast studio with us. And we got lots of stuff to talk about after that. Yeah. So just a little bit about who I am. Well, I am a, a performer, is who I guess I would say first and foremost. So I am an improv and stand-up comedian and have been using that really improv to teach emotional intelligence. And so I do workshops and trainings with my company, Improv EQ. And so I am really about helping people play as a way to access their more authentic self for themselves, because I think when we're more honest with who we are and we'll, what we want to do and being more comfortable saying yes to the things that fill us up with energy and no to the things that don't, it's a lot easier to do when you know who you are sure. and you're more authentic. Yeah. And then it's also absolutely easier to connect with other people when you are authentic. And I do that through accessing play and yeah, inner child. Oh, that's awesome. How, how'd you get there? What, what, what got you? What, what, I mean, was it something that you personally experienced in life? Was it something you observed? What what opened this door up for you? Oh, what opened the door to, to recognizing that play is your authentic self? And that you wanted to show others how to do it, yes. Well, for me, I'll talk about myself first and then how I decided to show other people. That kind of just happened. I didn't set up to do that, which I probably, I think most people who find their calling, you didn't set out to do it. Other people have like noticed it in you. <laughs> but for me... I really realized that I've always been kind of like I was always happiest when I was playing and when I was doing things because it was like my sacred space where I didn't have to worry about other people. And so I was a kid who was a huge daydreamer. I lived in like my own little world. And 
And so I would easily just get lost in that world and make up stories, make believe. And I had a lot of fun. I'm the oldest of four. So it was not uncommon to bring my siblings into my world. So I would set up the whole world of make believe, you know, and like this is so now like our parents bed is the pirate ship and like (laughs) that lump, you know, that pile of laundry, like that's the monster we have to avoid. And so they'd be like, okay, like, but Sida wouldn't out. And I'm like, I'm like telling them all the things. And so, you know, every time that something would happen, I would incorporate that into our story so that's just who I've always been and you know I kind of lost touch with that as I became an adult you know Mm. I put air quotes you can't see that (laughs) shocking shocking that the system encouraged you to display right and become an adult yeah and let's get serious (laughs) right and so it's so that's just the norm it's kind of like you know you're taught to fit in certain boxes and that if if you do this then that will lead to success that there are certain things you have to do and you have to do it in the way that everybody else is doing it or you will find no success and happiness and all of that is like it's all contingent on the outside that everyone else will gift you somehow if you're good enough that you do enough you then you will be gifted greatness and happiness and joy and and i'm like and I bought that for such a long time. Sure. And I was living, I was just so miserable. Yeah. It just didn't really, it felt like there was a huge disconnect inside of me. And finding kind of ways to play and reconnect with myself, I felt liberated and it was so much fun. And I started teaching classes just because like I love, like improv is my main thing. And I love because, I love improv so much because improv is basically life. And a lot of people think about improv and they're like, oh, my God, I would never get on stage. Like, I don't want to be like put on the spot. I don't want to do any of that. And I'm like, yeah, but like improv isn't re- I mean, it can be like that. But improv at its core is life. Like nobody wakes oh, up. I love that. And is given yeah. a script. I love that. Of like what's going to happen. Yeah. We're all improvising all the time. Every flipping day. Right. And yeah. so when you just embrace that, and you you can really enjoy it. And I think one of the secrets joy that in improv is that. When something happens that you didn't expect, we don't freak out. We, I like, I get excited because mm-hmm. I'm like, I didn't know that it could happen like this, mm-hmm. and now I have something I can play with, and I can jump on and like explore. And so to bring that mindset to everything that I do, and not just when I'm on stage, that's what I like. I love, and I love opening that up for other people. So, how did you slay that dragon? I mean, you, there's all this societal pressure, maybe family pressure, I don't know, that wants you to pursue, if you will, a very traditional path. Yeah. And the life of a stand-up comedian is <laughs> far from it. Mm-hmm. How did you slay that dragon? How did, how did you continue to fight that battle against the big green monster of the laundry pile and kind of evolve to where you are today? Well, I guess part of it is that I, I'm really good at listening And so even though people would tell me like, hey, you can't do this, but then I would see how much joy and twinkle there was in their eye when I would be that person, either like in a family gathering or at a party. And so I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Like if you're telling me this isn't possible, this isn't good. But yet when I show up and I am this person, you all love it. (laughs) Like I'm not the one who's insane here. Like you haven't figured out what you're saying. And so that's that was part of it when I kind of started to question, like, maybe they don't really know what they're talking about. <laughs> maybe so, they're just saying things. Yeah. So those were little clues or breadcrumbs to you that, hey, maybe maybe I'm onto something here. Yeah, absolutely. Improv is that a huge part of it is being able to take a risk yeah. 
and it might not always pay off in the way that you imagine it would. And so that's one thing that I had to learn too was just put it out there and you learn from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, brother, I, I don't know if when Betsida was talking about improv before, but now as you've said that, all I'm thinking about is one of the key themes that you and I have talked over and over about and how hard it is to embrace this because we need something to make it tangible. And that's the idea of detaching from outcomes, right? We've talked so much in studio about how, you know, we spend so much time with expectations and what outcomes are supposed to be. And I've always struggled with this idea of how, what's something I can do to learn how to detach from those outcomes and sharing about what improv has done and just what you just shared with me about taking the risk of throwing something out there and really not giving a rat's hiney who laughs at it and who doesn't. I enjoyed the experience of trying my hand at a joke right there. Yeah. And really didn't care. So thank you for that. But And fortunately, wow. that wasn't your first joke today. No. <laughs> no. I mean, you were beautifully warmed up. <laughs> I know. And took a risk. Exactly. That flopped, but that's okay. So there's something there. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're laughing at yourself. That's good. Uh, all day long, baby. You could care less if I thought that was Imagine funny. if there were mirrors around how much I'd laugh. Holy cow. We've talked about this, th this idea, and I've shared with you, you know, putting on my mask, showing up for what I expect the world out of me. And you share a similar story, although you present it in a way that's very personal to you. I love it. You and I have had the privilege of sharing a TEDx stage together. We recently got the TEDx fulsome experience and thankfully persistence beats resistance because <laughs> everything in the world was trying to keep this event from happening, but it happened. It was virtual broadcast. It was awesome. Yeah. And I felt like your talk and my talk had so much similar good stuff. You talk about putting on your armor. You talk about the process of how that happened over the course of your life. And then obviously through play, you know, not to give away the punchline, but we kind of already have already as, as we started the episode. Talk a little bit about that process of what, what you really mean by that, putting on your armor, showing up the way you think the world needs you to show up. Because to me, it's just fascinating. Yeah, it was so great to share a stage. And I think it's also really funny that the theme was reimagine, yeah. which is so fitting because, man, did we reimagine what that event was going to be multiple times. <laughs> For sure. Uh, but yeah, I think the this idea of putting on the armor, which is kind of emotional armor, which everyone kind of talks about, very similar to the mask that you were already talking about, is is what we we have used to protect ourselves from criticism and judgment. And so humans and I see that and just speak about myself like I'm just I recognize that no I don't love to be criticized or to be judged and I wanted to always feel like I belonged and sometimes people don't know how to give that to you and so what I have found in my life is there were so many ways where I put on this armor to kind of protect myself where it's like if I wasn't told that I belong or I wasn't given the space that I was part of something that I just was like, well, I don't even care. And I put this armor on to protect myself. And so, you know, my story is that, you know, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. And one of the first times that I put my armor on was we would shop at a thrift store. And there was this this kid from my class who saw 
that I was there and told everyone at school that we shopped at a thrift store and, you know, not even Goodwill because that's like the name brand store. We just shopped at a place <laughs> that was called <laughs> the, the thrift, thrift yeah, store. Just thrift store. Yeah. Right. Thrift yeah. Store. And, right. It, and so, you know, when he told everyone at school, everyone started laughing and were like, you know, making fun of me that I was my family was poor. And I just remember feeling very small and insignificant in that mm. moment and, you know, putting on this armor. And so there's all these little stories of growing up. And I grew up in a family that was very conservative and uh, very traditional in a lot of ways. And so being a woman, especially in a traditional household, there was a lot of things that they really needed and wanted me to do. I didn't, I couldn't live up to that ideal because it didn't re- quite fit me. And so that just kind of became more armor. And so in the, the, the TED talk that I did, I drew all those little pictures. It was yeah. like an illustration of myself as a cartoon, which is how I envision myself. Like at my best, I'm just, I'm a cartoon and it's the best. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and so I this, love that. this little cartoon version of me, as I told these, you know, different stories and, and really they're just like little stories of, of heartbreak and they're little stories of, other people wanting me to be something that I'm not. There are little stories of not measuring up that kind of were those moments where I started to put all of the armor on. And and you saw that in the little cartoon where it just kind of got bogged down. And by the end, when you're wearing all the armor, which I think happens to a lot of us, especially as we're, you know, becoming adults and we talked about like going through, you know, all these systems that are trying to like shape you, you end up kind of like this kind of robot that's just covered in this armor. Yeah. And that's that's what happened for me. Wow. Was there a turning point? Was there a critical event where you said enough, you know, that classic Popeye moment of, you know, I've had all I can stands, I can stands no more. Speaking of cartoons, that was well, the, that's a cartoon <laughs> yeah. bubble in my head right now. Your forearms it's, are looking look right. I mean, they're today. just yeah. massive. Yeah. <laughs> was there a turning point? You know what? For me, I, I can't say that there was a specific moment. I think that it was it took a little bit of time to just kind of realize kind of that I wasn't I didn't feel like myself this isn't me this isn't me yeah and I got a course correct I got to do something different yeah and there was a couple times you know where I would see a video or see like a picture of myself you know like you get the time hops that come up on like Facebook and they're like hey this is you six years ago and I'm like that doesn't feel like it was like me like I don't feel like I'm that person and Mm -hmm. so there was something in me that was kind of just feeling like something isn't connecting here something isn't quite right and so I really changed things and I the work that I was doing at that time was also really burning me out and I was the work for pay for pay yeah okay the work for pay that I was doing I was working for a nonprofit organization at the time and I was so my identity was so much wrapped up in like what I could do for other people and taking care of other people and it was exhausting and I had these moments where I would just like sit in my car and be like, I can't go into work. I don't have anything to give right now. You're drained. I'm totally drained. Yeah. And, and that was the the weight of all of this armor that you're wearing. Yes. I mean, you, you painted an incredibly vivid picture on the TEDx stage. You almost walked on the stage like you were this medieval, you know, 15th century gladiator with this just heavy battle armor, armor on. Yeah. And, and you were... You were showing us visually of what that would look like to try to connect with another human being who had just as much armor on and the awkwardness and clumsiness and and disconnect, the fact that there really was no connection. So with all of this armor, how did that affect 
your relationship with people in your life? I mean, what was that like? Absolutely. It was uh, the best that I could do was like have this kind of false connection with them because they never really got to know the full me. When I was in my full armor, there was no way that those people got to know who sure. I totally am. Right. And that was and and so all of my relationships at that time were very superficial hmm. and I didn't realize it at the time because I was covered in my armor. I was just trying to like, you know, cut, carry it, which is super heavy. It was interesting actually after we did the the TEDx, I had a woman who was talking to me who was saying, you know, that she didn't relate to. I talked about one of the stories of being a people pleaser mm-hmm. and the story about like just a really pitiful birthday when I was 17. Ooh, the chocolate cake story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's the oh, chocolate cake. I love the, yeah, yeah. Please so, share. Do. Yeah. When I was when I was 17, the story is that, you know, my best friend invited me over to celebrate and we were just going to rent a movie and, you know, get a cake to just split between the two of us. And so this is when we could go. We, you know, it was blockbuster at the time yes and so we're dating ourselves slightly just a little bit well, yeah. so and blockbuster we're all bg for, for our younger audience yes for our younger audience Some just context. to explain yeah. what blockbuster Fair. is it was a place you would get in your automobile yeah and you would drive there <laughs> and you would get out and you'd walk in and you'd peruse this rather large perhaps sometimes the size of like a drugstore yeah yeah uh, endless choices yeah. and there were all these vhs and then it got really snazzy, and we went to DVDs. Yes. Movies. And you were very bummed when the one that you wanted wasn't there. Right. Yeah. You put your name on the wait list. And you put your name on the wait list, and you'd take some B-roll thing that you really weren't that interested in, and you'd get back in your automobile and drive home Yeah. and put it in the machine with your remote control and <laughs> and watch it. And right. That's Blockbuster. And you'd have to bring it back in like three oh, days. Oh, yeah. Then you had the pressure bringing it back in because two or three would, days. Because they would charge you. Oh, yes. like and back, 10X a library book. Yeah. And then back when it was the actual VHS, you had to rewind it yourself or they upcharged you for not rewinding exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, it was, it was a lot of uh, pressure. Stressful. No idea how good you have it with Netflix people. Right. Oh, oh. Us before Google people. <laughs> We had the real struggle. But yeah, so so we were there. We picked, and so she, she actually picked Notting Hill. She wanted to watch Notting Hill, and I am not a Hugh Grant fan. Wasn't then, still am not, and I was not excited about this movie. Yeah. And I didn't tell her anything. I just kind of went along with it. And just so kind of let it be. I just, yeah, I literally said nothing. And so she picked up the case, you know, that, that's how they used to do it. Uh, and then she, she, yeah, rented that. And then we went to the store next, you know, to Save Mart, which is next door. And she picked this chocolate cake. It was like a double-decker chocolate cake. I hate chocolate. Like, it's just not me. I know, like, that's like most women that I know love chocolate. Right. Like, just this is not, it's not, not your you. thing. It's not me. Yeah. It's not me. But again, like, I didn't tell her anything. I just kind of said nothing. And so, yeah, that, that's what happened. So that's how I celebrated my 17th birthday. It sounds like it was more her birthday than your birthday. Yeah. And, and again, and what's funny is 100%. Like, it was, this was everything she wanted to do and she was having the best time. And I just, like, went into like you know my little happy place where i just like imagined where else i would be <laughs> so you were back on the pirate ship <laughs> yeah, in your parents fully, bedroom fully on the pirate the mound of laundry yeah yeah and eating like you know because i've been captured and that's why i was eating this chocolate cake was that's how you get gruel, through it the, right you had to eat yeah. the gruel that you were served by your captors fully that's where my like my that's how i would kind of get through this is just like escape so did, did you do that intentionally that's fascinating to me the fact that here you were in this situation where somebody was creating it's a celebration it's your day, it's yeah. your day. right and you have to create your own day in your own mind. Totally. Did you do that intentionally, or was that just something subconscious back then? I think it was just 
I did not do it intentionally. So it was like a protection thing. It was 100% a protection thing because I didn't feel strong enough that if I was honest and said, I don't want to watch your movie and I don't want to eat the kind of cake that you want, that she'd still want to spend time with me. And so I was like, I guess this is better than maybe spending my birthday alone, which is like actually kind of in totally insane because I would never think that now. I'm like, I'd much rather be alone and live how I want to than with someone who doesn't get me or value what I want. And to be fair, like she never said she wouldn't. I just made that assumption for right, her. Right. That was all in your own head. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Sure. The, f- the fear of not being liked. The- right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so I talk about how like, you know, that was just another piece of armor that it was really that shield, which is that people pleasing. And so it was this reflective image that I hoped that people would see themselves and then they would like me more. And so I spent a lot of time kind of thinking about what each piece of armor was and how it connected to my story. And this was like, as I was developing the talk, really had to get into thinking about what are the visual connections between each piece of armor and the stories and how I was using it specifically to protect myself. And so what I think is really interesting is after the talk, I spoke to a woman who said specifically about that story that she really loved it but didn't relate because she wasn't a people pleaser. Hmm. And that for her, she was like, I don't care if you like me or not. Like, I never was going to be just roll over for other people. And so immediately when I was talking to her, I was like, oh, well, you didn't have a shield. You had a sword. Ooh. Oh, nice. Oh, tell me more. That's good. I wasn't in your breakout, so I want to hear this. Because that's what it made me think of. And I was like, because yeah. it's still another form of armor to be like, to already be mad and frustrated and be like, well, if you don't even like me, then like, I don't even care about you. And like, you can just like go F yourself. You know what I mean? It's just like that intensity oh, I can of see like. The, I can see the Zorro a, sword going right. yeah. slash, slash, slash. That's the sword. Like, I don't need it's to protect. It's right. the other side it's of the a, coin. It's a different protection mechanism. Exactly. Yeah. It's absolutely still the same. It's armor. And that's why like all of us have different armor in the way that I see it. And I know that not everyone's armor is going to be the same as mine, but we all have created and found our armor in different ways. And yeah, and so for me, I totally immediately saw that it was a sword that she'd just come out swinging, ready to just you know take people down before yeah. they could hurt her. Right, right. Wow. And, so, and that probably in the context of Thanksgiving week, you know, that probably never happens in homes across America not, uh, yeah. on Thanksgiving week, whether someone is wearing the shield or they <laughs> or flashing or the sword or they're branding the sword. They perhaps spent time sharpening before the holiday. I, I have mental I wanna, preparation. Yeah. yeah, I want to officially declare Thanksgiving week as National Take Your Armor Off Week. How's that? That sounds so good. Let, let's yeah. get that started here today. Let's yeah. let's figure that out. When it comes to taking off the armor, the stories that I've heard you share, it sounds like you've spent some time sitting down and really writing about, thinking about, spending time with what's happened in my life that has put these different pieces of armor on and and the awareness that you've shared with us here in studio and and outside of studio about how this gradually became this huge suit of armor did it come off the same way was it a gradual peel down of the armor or was it one of these holy cow and the armor suit falls off what was that experience like for you for me it was somewhere in between so it wasn't really gradual but it was It was so much quicker than how I put the armor on. And once I kind of started playing, which is really my the premise of everything that I do, is that when you play, you're more connected with your inner child, which Mm -hmm. is who's underneath the armor and is just the most authentic version of yourself. Then it's really easy to kind of start to take the armor off. Because when you want to like do something and be playful and you want to connect with somebody, you start to recognize how much this armor is inhibiting you, how much it's like 
not allowing you to move or to do what you want to do. And so once you take a little bit of it off, then it's like, oh, this feels really good. And I want to take more of it off because like I'm so much lighter. I'm so much happier. I'm so much more connected to myself. And also I'm more open to connecting with others. Mm. Where did the armor come off first with yourself or with others? Oh, with myself. How'd you do that? What did that look like? Yeah. For me, it was, you know, I talk about play, which to I think sometimes I have to explain what that means. And it's a mindset where you're not, and we already were talking about like not being worried about the outcome. That's so much of what play is. It is mm. something that you do because it brings you joy and you're not connected to the outcome. And it's, it has nothing to do with what others expect of you to do. And so it is really is process driven. And you just get to be in that space. And it's going to look different for each person. And for me, I'm someone who likes to, you know, I, I dance and I move and I draw. And so those were the kinds of things that really connected me to myself. And and it was even telling stories. That's something that for me feels like play. Mm-hmm. And the first times that you do that, it's sometimes bad. <laughs> like when you first start to play, yeah. if you haven't played in a long time, it's it's like bla- really not good and you might want to judge yourself and then to bring someone else into that space and then they add judgment to your judgment, like I don't recommend that. So I think being able to start to play and just cultivate that play mindset by yourself, that's what worked for me and then when I felt pretty confident with like this is who I am and I like what I'm doing. And so when somebody else said like I don't really like that, I'm like well, that's your opinion, and it doesn't hurt me as much because I'm so much more secure that this is who I am and this is what I want. And again, like I'm so intentional about what I let in versus when I had the armor, I didn't have boundaries because I was like, this is what's protecting me. And so I just let everything come at me. And now I don't because I'm like, no, I don't need to. I love how you're describing that because we've raised four kids they're still you and me they're still kids almost six if you include (laughs) all of our kids oh we're bringing beth into the conversation today you and beth raised four kids there you go and the playfulness that when you have kids that comes with that is just it's it's marvelous it's absolutely remarkable and as you're talking about that i'm up in my head going god i miss that i miss lying in bed telling a story to my kids and grace who's 18 years old today and in college and all that this line just sticks with me tell me another story daddy mm-hmm. right and i miss that and i think as adults as you get further away from either your own childhood or raising children or if you don't raise kids just your exposure to children there's a level of seriousness that you can take on yeah and that's what is so intriguing to me about what you're describing is the fact that in the beginning it might be really uncomfortable to play mm-hmm. and to be goofy or tell a story or be, you know, not take yourself so goddamn seriously. There's a wonderful book called The Art of Possibility, and it's by a guy by the name of Benjamin Zander, who was the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic, and he used to teach music classes at the New England Conservatory, and one of the things that he would teach his students is, and his musicians in the audience is, don't take yourself so goddamn seriously, Yeah. minus the expletive. The expletive, yeah. And when he speaks, that's one of the things he's a very, you've never met a conductor. I mean, because most conductors are super serious. You know, this is the art of performing. And he's this lighthearted, very goofy. By now, he's if he's still with us, I don't know. He's got to be in his 80s. And he just brings this this lovely lightheartedness that I love hearing you describe that because the the world's a pretty serious place today. Yeah. And then that's the the lie, I think, is that we're 
told that you're supposed to take yourself that seriously, that that's what good adults do. And so I, you know, I I said even in my talk that adulthood has become synonymous with the armor. And so keeping on the armor and the more that you're protected, the more armor that you have, the less that you look potentially foolish or silly in front of other people. People see that as like, that's a real adult. Like that's, and I just don't, I don't buy that. Yeah. Well, but to get there, I love what you shared on how you got there. It was something that you had to do with yourself first. I was very intentional with that question I asked you about where the armor came off first. Where was that first experiment with others or with self? It seems to me like it's virtually impossible. We've done enough in-house research on this ourselves, and, and now we have Betsaida to validate this even further. Rishi validated this in studio with us as well in, in kind of in his view of the world, that there's no way that you can go out into the world and show up as you are, playful, without attachment to the outcome, if you can't look in that bathroom mirror when you're brushing your teeth in the morning and find some unconditional acceptance, maybe even some unconditional love mm -hmm. for the person you're looking at. And for you, that started with play. Yeah. That's so cool. I think this is where we should probably take a break because we've built up to how you got to the place, because I really want to talk about what's behind you on the big screen, which you can't see right now, and nobody in our financial sobriety world can see, which is good because we're going to talk about it. But I think the whole experience of play, of taking the armor off, I would love to be able to do on mic what we did in our pregame of giving our community an example yeah. of what play looks like so they have something that they could take from this episode and use it today. During Thanksgiving week. During Thanksgiving perhaps. week. Perhaps. Before or after the big dinner. At the dinner, maybe even too, right? Well, they might be sharing gratitude, but Ooh. you could pregame it. And there's something you got to do between, you know, when the, when you're done with the turkey and then when the dessert comes out. You know, there's that little... Oh, there's that gap. There's a little bit of gap that's like perfect for a game. For well, and, and I don't know what your family's like for that, but we have, we, we have some internal struggle because my wife and I like a greater delay between the meal and the dessert. And then we have certain family members that are like, no, bring it out now. There's no delay. You go right to dessert. The and, sweets needed right away. Yeah, and so we have some we have That's some so internal struggle within the family, which we're perhaps good with. some play could well, fix. Well, we, it, it's we've turned it into an and, not an or. So it's there for those that have to have the you know the quick fix now, and then for those of us that are on the you know the installment plan. Right, a little ice cream for those who need we, it, a little it pie later. for later. Yeah, love it. I think also having our community find out how they can work with you if this idea of injecting more play into their lives and bringing that inner child out. But wait, she's a stand-up comedian. How do they do that? Ooh, I don't know. We'll have to tune into the next episode <laughs> to find out. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. 
To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.